Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. Hey, welcome everyone. Welcome to Training with Casey. I'm your host, Casey Cover, and today we're going to talk about aggression. We're going to talk about how to deal with aggressive animals. So when you're working with aggressive animals, aggression that can condemn a dog that would be living with people, right? can be normal for many animals. And many of these animals can become safe for people to be with, really in almost all situations. Now, why do I say that? Because I'm a career exotic animal trainer and manager, and I have worked with all kinds of animals that are generally all serious bite risks when we start working together. And next thing you know, I can swim with them. I can sneak up on them accidentally. I don't do that on purpose. They give me the benefit of the doubt when we meet in unexpected ways, just like I would expect from my other friends. So how did we get there? And what do I consider the critical trait of a dangerous animal? I'm going to write that down because I want to make sure I cover that. So while aggression is not appropriate for an animal living with a family of humans, it is nonetheless a very common trait. And many times the animals will be willing to give it up if taught appropriately. But there are some that won't give it up. And we'll talk about that at the end. So let's take a page from the book of an exotic animal trainer and manager, that would be me. And let me take you through, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven steps. Okay, and then the eighth one will be uh, the critical sign of danger. Ooh, I'm going to give you a ninth one, too. That's really, really important. Okay. So, number one, assume every animal is dangerous. So, if you're a trainer, which most of this audience will be, insist that the animal be leashed in a crate or worked over a barrier initially. Let the animal earn his way off. Now, here's a warning about this. Do not trust 
the owners to do this. If you tell the owners to have the animal leashed when you come to the door, he probably won't be. Or often he won't be. If you tell them to have the animal crated, better chance of that. And you should find a way to see that the animal's in the crate before the door is opened. There can be this little desire on the part of people, you know, dog owners, right? But other people also, to see bloodshed, to see, are you really up to snuff? What will you do in the worst situation? And I've had a number of owners act like, I don't know, they hired me to be a psychic. I should just automatically know what to do if they let the animal loose on me. Even when I have stipulated and they have signed in writing that they would have that dog on a leash at all times, not allow the leash to extend to me, or the dog would be crated at all times. I remember one of these owners was a lawyer and definitely knew better. Okay. And I have had owners after we've done a little bit of work, loose a dog on me. I'm not saying they thought I'd get killed or anything like that. I think they thought that they would get to see how I would deal with the problem. But that is the critical thing. As a professional, I prevent the problem. I know that animal can hurt me. And I know that that animal is currently a risk. I don't play Russian roulette. I train the animal. So if you stipulate for the owners to have the animal contained before you get there and while you're there, you really must oversee that. Do not walk into the house and assume the animal is created just because you don't see them there in front of you. So you assume that the animal didn't get contained and you assume there's danger. Now for you, when you start to work, I really recommend working over a barrier. For those of you that are familiar with the videos on my website, sinalia.com slash press, you might recall the wolf video. That wolf was so smart. He learned so quickly. He learned over 40 things in two hours. He was very friendly with me. At the end of the session, which you don't see in this uh, video, but at the end of the session, he laid down and thrust his feet through the wire for me to rub his feet. And I remember the staff saying, that is freaking amazing. But as you will see, I didn't work the animal from inside the exhibit area. I worked him over a barrier through a fence. That way he can focus on what we're supposed to learn and not on 
wow, I wonder if I can get away with this. I wonder if I can steal what's in her pockets. What will she do if I jump up? It looks so enticing to try to grab her nose, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what you may not have known is I actually started out inside the exhibit with the wolf. I made friends with the wolf. I really enjoyed the wolf. I saw his whole area. I saw the many things he knew how to do, none of which I was working on. And then I requested to go outside to work with him on learning because it's a professional thing to do. They're not paying me to make friends with their wolf. They're paying me to teach this wolf as many critical skills and as much critical knowledge as I can impart in the little time that we have. So that's what we did. And I went out of the exhibit in order to do that. We start horses over barriers. We start all zoo animals over barriers all the time. They make very fast progress. But we take care of everything we can do from outside the exhibit or the holding area before we complicate the situation by expecting the animal to be able to manage themselves when their exciting possibility of a person, a new person, is right there with them. Okay, next thing is something you might not expect, and we teach this over the barrier. We demonstrate integrity to the animal. So what does that look like? Well, take a look at the video again at Cinelia.com of Jordy the Rhino. And Jordy needed to have an abscess flushed under the horn of, uh, under, in an abscess under his horn. And so I explained to him what we needed and I asked him to come and interact with the syringe. And when he did, I did exactly what I told him I was going to do and nothing further. If I gave him a piece of food, I waited till he ate it. If it somehow rolled away from him, I gave him another one. I made sure that if I said it would be a certain way, then to the best of my ability, it was that way. And I never took more from him than I asked him for. Well, if that's a little bit confusing, what does that mean? Here's what it means. If I said, I'm going to touch your ear, I didn't try to stick a Q-tip inside the ear. For that particular trial, I just touched the ear. Then I withdrew and allowed him to process what I had said and to process the experience and the event. That's extremely important for your safety. If the animal sees that you're not looking for an opportunity to take power or to take license with them, they're going to be much safer to deal with. Now, third one is related. Demonstrate respect 
Now, for those of you that have been listening to the podcast right from the beginning, are you recognizing these from the very first, second, and third podcast we did? That's because these are the most important things for animal trainers to get right, right from the beginning. So demonstrate respect. I don't reach forward and touch an animal. I open my hands and invite them in. I ask permission before I do anything. I actually just went over one of my other points. So I demonstrate respect. I recognize that this animal is the king of his own body and he has a right to make decisions. And I respect his decision and I'm respectful towards him. I bring him into the conversation. So when I bring him into the conversation, that takes us to number four, I explain and demonstrate clearly. If I'm going to do a medical procedure, I can let him watch another animal. I can even let him watch a video. I can demonstrate on my own arm. I can take a syringe and say, this is gonna hurt. I'm gonna prick your skin like this, ow. Now, can I prick you the skin on your neck? Are you ready? One, two, three, good, 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 as I prick the skin. And that little process, exactly what I just said, if you introduce a needle that way, nine times out of 10, the animal doesn't even react. I can't tell you how many times I've had to introduce needles to animals that had problems with them, severe problems. And I never saw the problem because even though they had a history of being downright dangerous where needles were concerned, they were not dangerous with me. And that's because I had integrity with them. I didn't sneak up on them and imagine that just because they were eating and didn't seem to notice that I had a needle, that it would be okay for me just to stick that in their skin. Okay, so number five, I alluded to before, get permission. After you explained carefully to the animal what you're going to do, say, um, uh, what I say is, can I put this needle in your skin? And then I count to three while they consider what I just said. And after I count to three, as I approach to do it, well, first, before I approach, I'm looking for the signs of permission. And here's what it generally looks like. The animal will put his head a little down and to the right. Look into the middle distance. He'll have a soft focus. It will look as if he's focused inward because he is. And he'll get very still and quiet. And when that happens, I'll approach. Good, 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 good. And I'll insert the needle or whatever it is I said that I was going to do. Now, number six is very important also. You need to, once you establish what you're doing, 
You need to build the tolerance of the animal using cycles. And cycles are progressive steps. And I'm not going to explain any more about them here because it's a whole thing in itself. They're extremely powerful. And it's an excellent way to grow the animal's ability to self-manage and also to make sure he can and will self-manage. Which brings us to number seven, testing. Just as you do assume that all animals are dangerous, you don't assume that they're not dangerous, even though you've gone through training. You need to go through a process where when the animal is offered the opportunity to be aggressive, he turns away from that opportunity, literally turns away. So a lot of people get confused by this. When we're doing cycles, let's say a dog was um, reactive toward other dogs, threatens them, barks at them, lunges at them, and so forth. So we start doing the cycles and the animal realizes, oh, they're explaining to me that I need to not do this. And I'm in this process until I can learn not to do this. When that animal is committed to being successful in that process, when you bring that other dog towards them, they will turn away. They will look away. This is at that learning stage where the animal may not have perfect confidence in his ability to withstand temptation, but he is committed to trying to do what you want him to do. So to make sure he doesn't fail, he turns away. And I praise that highly. That is a dog headed for success. Now we're to number eight, and I promise to tell you what thing I look for that generally determines whether or not an animal is going to remain dangerous. And that one trait is unpredictability. I would much rather work with an animal that was severe in its reactions than an animal that's unpredictable. And often unpredictability is linked to organic problems, seizures, mental illness, uh, neuroatypical situations, even perception problems. You know, like uh, the animal could lose the ability to hear and it might be episodic, you're not even predictable, or um, the animal might have horrible headaches at certain times where he lashes out or he might have seizures or whatever. But when I see unpredictability in the aggression of an animal, that is a real red flag. I remember just a heartbreaking story of a young man 
who worked with his border collie very closely and they trained to a very high level, went out and did all these competitions together and so forth. And they had a beautiful partnership until one day the young man was walking across the room toward his loving dog and the dog suddenly snarled and lunged at him and bit him severely. Turns out the dog had a brain tumor. Not the dog's fault at all. It wasn't going to get better. The dog couldn't make a choice to manage himself. He had to be euthanized. Nobody wanted to euthanize a dog over an illness. But it was just too dangerous. This is the kind of thing that can confront us, and it's horrible. But we have to manage for safety for everyone. Now, I want to bring up one last thing to be very aware of, and that is a sense of menace. We read animals on many, many levels. And if you've gotten my manuals, you may have gotten the Talk to Me manual. It's a very short little book, but it talks about the many, many layers of communication and how to use them all to have the best and most effective relationship with the animal you work with. One of those layers is biochemical. We all pick up signals from one another that are biochemical in nature. We also may very well pick up signals that are extrasensory perception in nature, where you just get a feeling that something is not right. So I want to tell you some stories about that to hit home the fact that if you have a sense of menace, that is just as important as number eight, unpredictability in predicting dangerousness. In other words, if you encounter an animal and the animal's being absolutely nice, you see nothing to complain about, he's not doing anything wrong, but you have a sense of menace about him, proceed with extreme caution. Here are some examples of where people had a sense of menace and did not honor it. One person had um, seven years of experience at a very progressive shelter. And there was a dog that all the other trainers had judged as being iffy. They had a color code and they coded this dog orange, which is use extreme caution with this dog and report any symptoms. Well, this particular person did not believe that there was any such thing as a bad dog. It was all bad human management of dogs. But dogs are just a subject to the burdens of mental illness and physical illness as people are. So this person had this dog out for a walk brought it back in 
and uh, went to put it away and it didn't go into the kennel. So the person misinterpreted this refusal to go into the kennel as timidness. This was a molosser mix. It was, I think it was a Canacorso cross. Anyway, not a dog given to timidity. She got down on the ground to coax the dog in. And the next thing you know, the dog jumped up and other people around thought they were playing until they heard her yell out to get this dog off me. Essentially that yelling out that the dog was attacking. And the people immediately sprang into action and saved this person's life, but not until they were severely damaged by this dog. In another situation, ironically the same year, a woman with 15 years of experience working with kennel dogs took a dog out that they had, they had an agreement with the city to take their, you know, extra dogs or whatever that they couldn't manage. And she had been taking this dog out for 30 days at least. And like I said, she had 15 years of experience. So she got there and nobody else was there yet. And they were going to come at like 930 or 830 or something anyway, later. And she goes to take the dog out. And as she's walking out, the dog suddenly jumps up without a growl, without anything, knocks her to the ground silently and starts to eat her alive. He's chewing on her arms and her legs. And she realizes that if she's to survive until the other people get there, that she needs to stay as quiet and calm as possible so as not to bleed to death. And when the people, well, actually before the people even came, um, all of a sudden it was like somebody flipped a switch. And the dog suddenly stopped chewing on her, went over and laid down in front of a door and acted like he knew nothing about what was going on. So when the people came in, she yelled for help and they came and uh, saved her. But both of these people had years of experience and these two dogs had exuded a sense of menace to not just that person, but other people around them. I'm going to tell you about the third and worst experience. Um, and this is not with a dog. This is with a person. And this experience had to do with a friend of mine who had started seeing a man and she introduced me to this man at a party and I got a sense of menace from this man. He was very well spoken, but there was something not right. And when I got a chance to think about it overnight, 
I realized that I got from this man the same feeling that I got from an animal that was stalking another animal. I'm going to call that a very guarded uh, presentation. Like they're not giving you any clues about who they are or what they're up to. And they are watching you like a hawk. So I talked to her later and she said, what did you think of this person? And I said, he's very well spoken. And, and she goes, good, I'm glad you like him because nobody else likes him. And I said, no, I don't like him at all. And I really think you need to get him out of your life entirely. I believe she started to attempt to do that right away. And this person was so good with people that I normally would never dare to, you know, I, I would trust her judgment. But in this case, I was betting my experience, my career working with predators for my friend's safety. But before she could remove this person from her life, he murdered her. Take the sense of menace seriously. Thank you for spending time with me. I look forward to next time. I hope you find uh, today's podcast useful in guiding your thoughts on you know how you interact with aggressive animals and our next podcast is going to be on the usefulness of classifying aggression all right take care thank you hey fans are you enjoying training with casey don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on itunes or wherever you get your podcast from also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Covert. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.